If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I'm Donald McIntyre and this is Murderers and Their Mothers, the companion podcast to the CBS reality series, which airs every Sunday from the 15th of May at 10pm. Now, in this series, I'm in a quest to explore how dysfunctional relationships moulded some of history's most horrific killers. On this episode, we'll be discussing the case of Fred West and over the next while or so, we'll be examining in depth the relationship between Fred and his mother as we try and piece together what turned him into one of the most notorious killers this country has ever seen. Well, joining me to discuss these issues are Dr. Elizabeth Yardley, the Director of the Centre for Applied Criminology at Birmingham City University. Hi. Hi. And also Dr. David Holmes, a criminal psychologist at Manchester Metropolitan University. Welcome, David. Hello there. Fred West, alongside his wife, Rosemary, tortured, raped and murdered at least 12 young women and girls between 1967 and 1987, including two of their own daughters, in one of the most horrific cases of serial killing ever in this country. But why? Well, let's begin by looking at Fred's upbringing. He was born in September 29th, 1941, in Muchmarkle in Herefordshire, the second of six children. He came from a poor family. It was almost a feral existence on the edge of village life. And they kept animals to eat and slaughtered them in the kitchen. He was exposed to violence at a very early age, as his mother Daisy was a strict disciplinarian. Here's Geoffrey Wansell, author of the official biography, An Evil Love, The Life of Frederick West. Very speedily, Daisy, the young Daisy West, before took the age of 20, became the matriarch. She ran the family. She was she quickly gained weight from being a slip of the girl. She became a, a rather fierce, plump, plain, always wore a very thick leather belt, which she set about her children with relentlessly. And she would always be the one responsible for punishment, usually with her belt, often with the buckle end. I mean, listen, David, this was an extraordinary early childhood. This was an extraordinary and a horrific home for Fred West or any child to be born into. 
Explain some of the details, the graphic details of his early childhood. Many people have poor existences, but this was feral. This was a background of kind of somewhat interbred families. This was a background where you have the, the agricultural area. You, you hadn't really had a bucket for a toilet. I mean, we, we have rough times. We have outside toilets. But this was kind of the existence that he had. It was hard graft all the way. Uh, the children were abused used as servants within the household. They all had chores from early days. Perhaps this was a kind of idea of keeping them out of trouble, but in fact introduced them to things like killing animals, slaughter of animals, going out and shooting animals, basically learning to be totally indifferent to the feelings of other creatures. It seemed that life on the farm, the life of farm animals, seemed to have no more significance than the life of any humans or anybody else in the family. Well, this was a family in which violence and abuse were, were very much entrenched. It was their normal. What was incredibly abnormal to us looking at this family would have been pretty much part and parcel of every day for the West family. And what's interesting, it's, you know, it's, I mean, men often are loaded with the blame for violence in families, but it was both mom and dad in this case. But it was the mother, Fred's mother, Daisy, who ruled the roost. Yeah. She was the disciplinarian. Fred's mother was the absolute sort of authority within the household. And, and she would administer pretty, pretty hefty punishments to the children using a thick leather belt, which she wore, and she'd use the buckle end. This was no holes barred. There was no PC atmosphere about this family whatsoever. And the father would be kind of like more sultry in the background, but would try and get away with things. He would sort of lead Fred along the pathway that what you can get away with is OK. Clearly, it appears he was programmed by both parents that if you use violence, there is a cause and effect, you will and can get your way. Violence is it's a, it's a behaviour, it's something that you do, it's, um, it's a way that you react, it's, it's part and parcel of your everyday social interaction. But if you add that violence into the mix where blood and gore is standard and normal, I think you're painting a picture of somebody who would be very relaxed around you know, human remains later on in, the, in his life. He would be totally indifferent, indifferent. To, 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 to whatever went on and transpired between human beings, whether it was you know, sexual behaviour, whether it was violent behaviour, whether it was the kind of horrors. I mean, we, we have a sense of revulsion, most of us. We back off from things that are revolting. He didn't. Alongside the violence, incest was clearly an acceptable part of the West household. And his mother Daisy took Fred to bed when he was just 12 years of age and when he'd just demonstrated the first kind of signs of adolescence. And we know he also had sex with his sister, David. I mean, this was the most disgracefully and horrific upbringing a kid could possibly imagine. At this stage, you know, I think entirely we can say Fred West was a victim. We would very, very quick to actually jump into the conclusion that he was a victim of the circumstance. Clearly, this environment, the, the environment he was inculcated into, was one where amorality was acceptable. There was nothing moral about his upbringing. When Daisy, his own mother, takes his virginity, she, this was a determined move. Why would she do that? She's targeting him here, isn't she? And, and what she's doing is she's marking him out as the special one, the, the top lad in the family. And I think that, that might kind of do something for, for his sense of position within that family, maybe. Uh, I suppose it would enhance a sense of grandiosity and significance and importance. But to say that his view of sex and family relationships was warped just mm. doesn't come close. I think the only rules were that there were no rules in this family. I think, basically, Fred's mother 
just found this as a means of extending her control over her favoured son, her, her means of preventing him from perhaps straying elsewhere for sexual needs, was, was some kind of way of her hanging on to him. It, it, it was basically put to Fred that this was natural. This was what all families did, uh, whether they admitted it or not. And he took a long time to discover other families didn't do that. Now, in relation to serial killers, I mean, this sexual abuse, which this incest was, is that a familiar pattern, Liz? It is something that we do see in some serial killers, but I think what we need to remember is that, that many children, unfortunately, experience this kind of abuse. Not all of them turn into serial killers, so it's just one part of the jigsaw. And, of course, his father also contributed to Fred West's warped view of sex, Walter West had an attitude of take what you want, he said, and he taught his son, as we know, to enjoy sex from an early age and he introduced him to bestiality. Fred saw his father force himself on a young woman in nearby fields and Walter also admitted to his son that he had sex, regular sex, with a sheep and a pig. This is extraordinary stuff where this young Fred West is witnessing. Fred would have learned his father's activities were normal. He would not see it as being rather strange. And in a way, it would appeal to his own self-interest and the way that he'd been pampered, that he should get things so long as he could get away with it. And so long as his mother didn't find out, then it would be fine. Now, it's interesting, of course, now we've talked about the role of Daisy. This is the role of the father. The impact his father had, that significant male role model, you know, was that introduction to bestiality and sex and, and violence by Fred West's father, was that a licence to go on and do this for the rest of his life? No, of course it wasn't, because at some point he's going to come across others um, who, who haven't experienced these kind of things. He's going to come to realise that this is not acceptable, that it's not normal, but he carries on doing these kind of things. Just to return to the early sexualization of Fred, just what kind of impact did that have on him? I think for Fred, it gave him a certain sense that he could control females by using sexual means. It was as an extension of power. Um, It was a means of combating, if you like, his mother's dominance. The fact that he could control his mother by sexual means rather than simply by confronting her violently. Would he have become more aware of the power of sex and that violence as he moved from childhood into adolescence, Liz? Well, I think he's starting to apply those lessons that, that he's learned during during these years. So I think this is what he's learned during his childhood. Um, he, he's learned that, that sex is it's a way of, of exerting power uh, and it's a way of having control over other people. And he's not going to stop that behaviour. These urges... You know, he's within the home, he's acting on the basis of instant gratification, sex, need, want, mother, sisters. But he must know at some stage outside the home there must be checks and balances. So how does he manage that without getting caught? He has kind of two means of approaching this. One is to use force. He, he uses force when he's trying to attract young female. Well, attract, he actually just uh, grope and grab. Also, he'd use his brother and his mother, in a way. His mother would go out into the world and protect him from flack that he would get from his behaviour. And his brother would protect him from other males that might see him as a threat. So he had a little bit of a cocoon around him. But he did learn, eventually, to kind of cover things up, to lie fluently, which he found 
was not difficult at all. And his kind of strange, kind of hillbilly charm was he was able to manipulate to some degree, and he did expand on that. So we've talked about his sexual proclivities, his violence and the merging of those worlds, you know, controlling his mother with sex, his mother controlling him with sex. But we haven't talked about his soft skills, those skills at chatting people up and mm. manipulating. And it's, you know, it's hard to equate those gruff, rough, feral agricultural skills of violence and and uh, incest with those soft skills and charm, as you say, Liz? I mean, the, the kind of behaviours that are exhibited within this family are not going to get you what you want outside of that family. So you need to adapt your behaviour in a way to, to actually get the things that, that, that you want to go after. So... Who who teaches him that charm skill set? You know, who who teaches him the the art of uh, of conversation? I don't think he actually got taught that. I think that naturally emerged from Fred. I think he was beginning to show clear traits of psychopathy before any kind of other problems beset him. His I approach to others of charm, disarm, and grab basically became his tools in life. And that is how he began to behave in later life. So are you saying that there was a bit of the psychopath, genetic psychopath in Fred, and then in this perfect storm, and there was to be more to be added to this turbulence, was this extraordinary, desperately dysfunctional family? Yes, you also had this trait. It may have not been really profound at that age, but clearly looking at his parents, looking at the background, the genetics there would say that he's going to have some of these traits, really. And he did show this kind of true indifference to the feelings of others. He did show any kind of an interest in violence. He, he enjoyed seeing his mother kill animals. Um, there is a sense of sadism there. There's a sense of, of control and manipulation. But it was the but charm. Also, he could never have become the sexual predator he did become without that skill set of charm. He could have been a Robert Black. He could have been uh, another serial killer or, 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 or child killer. But What's clear is that it is charm partly made him the murderer he was to become. Yes, and it also kind of ensured that his murdering career would be longer than it would be if he didn't have that charm. And also, he did have kind of industrious traits as well. He was a very busy child. He was hard-working. He didn't shy away from work. He wasn't a lazy killer. This is somebody who had some inherent traits that made his killing career long. Well, returning to the influence of his mother, Daisy, did Fred's upbringing result in him becoming a mommy's boy who essentially could do no wrong? He was certainly Daisy's favourite, the golden child. Well, here's the thoughts of Geoffrey Wansell. There is no doubt in my mind that his mother Daisy's attitude to he could do what he liked, take what he want, made Fred feel invincible, that he was effectively free to do whatever he chose, whenever he chose to do it. Well, what's the significance, as Geoffrey alludes to there, that Fred was Daisy's blue-eyed boy, golden child? Why was he chosen? Well, I think because he was the oldest boy in the family. Um, there was a sister before him who, unfortunately, had died. But he was the, the, the first boy, so he was the, the golden child, in a way. 
and he was quite an attractive baby. He was he was quite cute. Um, so so I think that that would have been you know, a couple of the factors that would would elevate him. So if we look at what if, I mean, it seems to me if you lose one child and a second child comes along, the second child would become you know obviously you know desperate attention. The, the last thing you want is a second child dying. So much more that, protected. Much yes. more protected. Much more protected. So, yeah. so if you look at what if, if the daughter had not died, was it sufficient that he was a boy? Would that have made him a golden child or would he just have melted in to the rest of the family? It is possible that he still would have trodden that same path. He would still be the cute little boy baby that Daisy would probably more likely to latch on to. You're dealing with those kind of maternal instincts that would be more kind of protective of the little boy than the girl. And also, you're dealing with somebody that was pretty much a little bit of a country bumpkin. You know, she didn't have the restraints when it came to sort of showing her affection uh, preferentially. The most extraordinary example of her defence of her son is when her 13-year-old daughter is impregnated by Fred. The police become aware of this and he's brought up and charged. And his mother ensures that her own daughter is not at court to give evidence and therefore he gets away scot-free. The ultimate protection, if you like, from the world where serious justice system investigation into Fred has been averted, has been pushed away by the power of that family, by Daisy's obsession with him. I think, you know, his standing, no matter where it was, was always going to be protected. Daisy would march into school to protect Fred from normal discipline. It must have made Fred feed invincible, getting off with the incest and impregnation of his sister. He's obviously at very early stages of forensic learning. He is beginning to realise what it is that makes you get away with things, how you can slip round the net, and also the fact that you can slip through the net of the police and the courts and the justice system. Not only can he get what he wants and, and behave in the way that he wants within the family, given the, the, the learning that's taken place from his mother and his father, but, but this is something, this is a victory outside of the family. So even when he's come under the eye of the criminal justice system, he's got away with it. So to what extent do we think, you know, if he had been convicted of this crime, would that have stalled his future activities? I think it might have actually reduced the severity of his later crimes. He would not have had that sort of bull in a china shop confidence in his own abilities. But I don't think he would have had a legitimate career. Yeah, I think it would have been a chink in his armour, wouldn't it? But it certainly wouldn't have been enough to, to turn that ship around because he'd been set on this course for so many years. And of course, his mother was key to him getting away with that. And as we know, Fred committed his crimes alongside another woman, Rosemary West, and that was his wife who we met in 1968. Now, this is extraordinary extraordinary combination, an extraordinary couple. Liz, what brought these two together to form such a murderous partnership? Well, it's quite incredible, really, because this was something of a chance meeting, wasn't it? The idea that, that this this individual, Fred West, who's come from this incredibly kind of dysfunctional, aberrant family, would meet Rose, who had not had anything resembling a normal upbringing herself. Just paint a picture, a little bit of picture of Rose's upbringing. Well, Rose was was sexually abused by her father from a, an incredibly early age and she was singled out within that family as his special one, as his special girl in the same way that Fred had been by, by his mother. So it's it's this idea that, you know, the, the abnormal is the normal. So I think what, what Fred recognised in Rosemary and what Rosemary recognised in Fred was the familiar 
even if it was incredibly dysfunctional. And the familiar was sex abuse and instant sexual gratification. And also, as just bring this point in here, is that too, did Rose represent an alternative mother figure to Fred? And having been abused by her own dad, did Fred represent a father figure to her? I think both actually in reciprocal relationship, provided the other with the substitute for the abusive parent. And I think in Fred, he wanted he wanted a mother figure. He wanted somebody else to take over this responsibility for him. He, he wanted someone of that nature. But he could never, ever, if you like, fully trust Rose. I know, David, you've, you've said this before, that you always felt that there was, although this was an extraordinarily close relationship, there was something about Rose that Fred didn't always quite trust. No. I think if you want to visualise it, Fred and Rose together were like a pair of scorpions sidling up very close, but then backing off a little and always being aware that if you turned your back or if you backed down or if you flinched at something the other person did that you would be struck. And he always kind of regarded her with that love-hate-fear relationship. He, he, Rose was probably one of the few people on the planet that he truly feared. Do you think he thought or feared that perhaps someday Rosemary could kill him? To some degree, yes. I think Rose was also a little bit fearful of Fred, although she felt more in control of the relationship than Fred did. It was... Generally speaking, that of an oppositional relationship that looked very much like a very much a very tight, close relationship. And and did Rose's attitude towards sex, even from a very early age, mirror that boundaryless engagements that mirrored those of, of Fred's? It certainly did seem to be that kind of situation, didn't it? And the boundaries around normal sexual relationships were simply not there for Fred and Rose. So so Rose had sexual intercourse with, with men other than Fred, and Fred w- was fully aware of that. And he kind of pimped her out. And why did he do that? Why, why you know, for somebody who's controlling and presumably somewhat proprietorial, why would he do that? For Fred, he didn't have that kind of affiliation, the love, caring, bonding that we would normally associate with with a relationship. For him, it was kind of like a bit of a substitute for the family where things came, went, and as long as you overall had some kind of plan. And I think... In the back of Fred's mind, what was kind of driving him forward was not just simply day-to-day gain and sexual pleasure, etc. He also had a plan of becoming some kind of pawn uh, king, somebody who could, if you like, stand up, have stature and earnings in the kind of criminal... Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago... If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. To find out if it's right for you. Well, as we now know, the West would go on to become two of Britain's most notorious mass murderers. A specialist search team arrived at Cromwell Street with a warrant to search for Heather West. Officers who found Heather's remains within hours also found signs that she was not alone. So, David, was Fred West practically programmed from childhood by his mother to embark on a murderous career? To some degree, it was absolutely inevitable that he would enter a criminal career. He would definitely at least commit rape. He would probably commit murder, whether it was found out or not. I think it was when we hit the the kind of situation where he had a couple of head injuries... That was when, if you like, the psychopathic brakes were taken off. David, could you explain exactly what happened with those brain injuries? The initial brain injuries from a motorcycle crash. This was to the forebrain. This was a massive amount of damage. It it damaged him physically as well as mentally. He was followed up by uh, being pushed from a a balcony and, and hitting his head and being unconscious. In both cases, he was unconscious for a period of time. And this would indicate that there's massive brain damage. And it was damage to the moral side of the brain, to the planning side of the brain, to that part of the brain that actually registers revulsion. Um, the orbitofrontal cortex, there's various bits I could throw at you, but what it actually summates to is that that brakes were taken off him and he, ha- he knew no restraints from that point on. If himself and Rosemary, if that connection didn't take place, would someone else have replaced her or would he have gone on to kill as many as he did with Rosemary? It is difficult to say, but he definitely would have gone on to harm other people in in some way or another. But we knew he'd already killed before he met Rosemary, mm. so inevitably he was not going to yeah, stop on this. We, we did know that he had already killed. He would have killed. He would not have been quite so prolific. He would not have been quite so safe in killing as he would be with Rose because, as a pair, they were like a killing machine. The idea that Rose would kind of, like, deflect any idea that this predatory male was just going to sort of, like, take you into his lair and and have his way with you, it kind of said to to any victim or prospective victim that, no, 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 there's a woman around, it's okay. you know, I'm moderately safe. Without Rose, he would not have killed as many and he would not have gone on for so long undetected. Now, I've travelled those roads where he trawled looking for uh, victims, and I'm wondering, you know, if he'd already killed, and I'm throwing back to another point, but if he'd already killed before he met Rose, why didn't he kill Rose? Well, because she was useful to him. 
and she could play play a role in their killing machine, as as we've seen it described. She was an important part of the machinery. Well, if we go back to the kind of core question, was Fred doomed to be a murderer from the start? Well, I think you go back and you look at various people's childhoods and many people do unfortunately experience violence and abuse like this. Not all of them go on to become killers. But I think that the unique set of circumstances that we've got here and the level of abuse and the level of abnormality, I think really was you know, the ingredients for, for what was to come. I mean, we mentioned earlier about things which might have changed his destiny, those crosswords. Anything stand out for you, David? I don't think he would have been quite quite so prolific if he hadn't had the double brain injury. This actually turned him from being psychopathic into being someone that had absolutely no restraint whatsoever, who was full-on in all of those kind of cold-blooded psychopathic traits, who was someone who had the backup of his mother substitute in Rose. This was someone who had been converted, if you like, into a kind of killing machine. Well, to what extent was he a victim? To what extent is he to blame? The ultimate question in criminology, is he to blame for his crimes? An appalling childhood, certainly a victim up to the age of 16, according to the law, because of what he went through. And now with these accidents, you know, brain injury. I mean, this is a man who simply couldn't help himself. There is nothing in any of those factors that would actually justify even a microscopic part of not just the killings that he carried out, but the extent of prolonged torture, of sadism, this, it goes way beyond anything that is a predisposing factor. Liz, let's go back to the mother. I mean, can we blame his mother primarily for the murderer he was to become? I think we can certainly place a lot of blame at her at her feet because she, she started writing the script for the story of this incredibly violent individual. She put those building blocks in place. So um, going back to the role of the mother, is that significant in the fact that Fred only murdered women? It probably is. He was, if you like, getting back at his mother and the mother's control over him. They were, if you like, mother substitutes and rose substitutes. Basically, the way that the mother's role actually works as it grows up is that that person will actually take on board certain elements of their bonding with the mother and transpose that into their search for a mate. So... Yes, not only in the case of Fred West, but many other individuals. They're looking, if you like, for a mother substitute to some degree. With, and of course, in his she case, found that. It, was, it was almost exact, exact fit with Rose. I mean, what's extraordinary when we talk about genetics and, and pathologies and behaviours percolating through the mm. generations, Walter West had raped and sexually abused somebody in, the, uh, in front of Fred. Fred's brother John was convicted of a sexual offence and Fred's son Stephen was convicted of a sexual offence. What's going on here? You only have to step back from families to see genetic traits flooding through that family. And if you actually step back far enough, if we were able to step back far enough, I'm sure that previous generations would show that they, that kind of indifference to the feelings and rights of others would have been there throughout that family. And for those children born into those families who didn't have psychopathic tendencies, it was still alternatively learned behaviour. I think that's the question, isn't it? Is this behaviour inherited? Is it learned? I think it's a messy combination of the two. I think when you actually step back and you look at some of the individuals who were brought up under those feral circumstances, 
and who didn't become killers, didn't become very antisocial. It's clearly certain aspects, certain traits, certain genetic traits uh, isolate some members of the family against the others and that is what makes the difference between what actually becomes a killing machine. So, in essence, there was this learned behaviour, genetics, but at some stage, everybody has a choice. Do I become a murderer? Do I become a perpetrator? I mean, outside of childhood. Yes, we have to be the the, the person who steers our own ship, if you like. And at some point, that moral deviance makes a judgement that other people would not have made. Quite simply, we are, you know, the, the actual... Um, producers of our own destiny. And to some degree, Fred West did choose that he would follow those instincts that said, I want to have this, I want to be sadistic towards others, I want to have sex, I want this, and no one will oppose me. So we're talking about nature versus nurture, and we talk about are we born with blank slates? This is the idea of in the Christian tradition, we're born without sin. And in the sense, are we born without pathology? You know, was he a born murderer? To what extent is he responsible for his actions? Nature versus nurture, Liz. Well, I don't think anybody is born evil or born a killer. I think certain individuals might be born with propensities towards particular behaviours. But it depends, I think, on, on what environment they then grow up in, in terms of how that manifests itself. I can disagree slightly in that people are not particularly born specifically to kill. They're not born specifically towards evil, but some are born with a greater propensity for that. There's a greater capacity and a much, much greater probability that they will end up in that particular endeavour. And in the case of Fred West, he basically acquired those traits and would have been on a killer path regardless of the early home environment. Well, thank you all very much. On January 1st, 1995, Fred hanged himself while on remand at Winston Green Prison, Birmingham. Rose was found guilty of the murder of 10 young women and girls and is now 21 years into her whole life tariff sentence. Dr Elizabeth Yardley and Dr David Holmes, thank you. And you can watch the full documentary, Murderers and Their Mothers, The West's, Killer Couple on CBS Reality at 10pm on the 22nd of May. In episode 3, we'll be looking at the case of Jed Allen. From me, Donald McIntyre, goodbye. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.